Welcome everyone to this third episode of Gameology, featuring myself, Attila, Gabriel Minuski, and special guest, Chris Ferris. Hello! Today we are going to be wrapping up our discussion about the sort of strategy games of the, not exactly like here and now, but as we knew them, the ones that are at least more modern than the ones we talked about previously, if that makes sense. So, where last we left off, we were talking about Red Alert 2 and how we could sort of see the writing on the wall, the direction that EA was taking Westwood in particular at that time, and the the temperature of the RTS genre in that space. But um, a lot of people see what comes after that as a decline. But, you know, in that in the time after Red Alert 2, you know, we got StarCraft 2, which was like a huge success and um it's really only like today that starcraft 2 is sort of starting to like ailing in terms of its popularity um, I, I think i might have to correct you on that oh? uh, starcraft starcraft 2 is still a fairly recent addition starcraft 2 is uh a, a lot later um, oh yeah right, so that's what i mean what i mean is like while people sort of generally tend to write off the rts genre as like oh, yes. dying out we still got starcraft 2 Wings of Liberty, uh, Heart of the Swarm, and what's the third one called? Uh, Legacy of the Void. That's it. I had to to, like look at my game (laughs) case to be like, oh wait, what is the subtitle for that one? Yeah, yeah. So the um, we we still have these like very well regarded strategy games to come out, but it feels like there was definitely a time over a span of years where there was such a dominant uh, presence in terms of console gaming and first-person shooters in particular that this sort of PC-fueled... Because um, really, you can't play a, a, a Command & Conquer style or a StarCraft-style RTS on a console. Like, there are plenty yeah. of games that can cross the gap no problem. Strategy games are not... Like, real-time strategy games are not one of them. Did so, you know... Uh, that StarCraft, the original StarCraft, came out for the Nintendo 64. I also believe that Command & Conquer, like the first one, came out for N64 as well. Yep. Not to say that these studios haven't tried, I just... None of them have been particularly well-fated. They've never been good. No, no they've, even they've up always to the... been, They've always been sluggish because the controllers... Like, you just can't move them with the accuracy that you can a mouse. Exactly. Even up to the most recent Halo Wars 2, like... They announced that game at E3, and I was like, I know this is going to fail. And, you know, sure enough, it came out to, like, 7 out of 10 reviews. Like, they're trying real hard, and I don't want to discredit the people working on this sort of thing, but it's just a genre that does not jive with the control scheme that you have. Uh, Anyway, yeah. Uh, I have a confession. Oh. I first played Band of Conquer through Tiberium Wars on the Xbox <laughs> on Xbox 360. Oh, uh, yep. well, you know. I mean, um, like I said, it's not to say that these people didn't try. I just don't think they can really get, like, it, where these games, like, Red Alert reviewed as, like, a 9 out of 10 on PC, on console, they couldn't hit much more than, like, a 7.5 out of 10. So your, your yeah. experience and is that always was just, better. And, on and that was PC. colored by, by the reviewers' impressions of the game on on pc too like they were they were clearly bumping up the score because they knew how good the pc version was because i yeah. feel like i would have given it a much lower score yeah, I, you were you got real serious with me for a second i thought uh, there was something wrong but uh yeah you know i 
I don't, I don't know. I think I've never actually played a, um, a real-time strategy game on console. I guess the closest you could say is Pikmin. Um, but anyway, for what we're here to talk about, going on from Red Alert 2, we see our first uh, truly 3D um, Command & Conquer game in the form of Generals, which was this mm-hmm. weird third addition to the Command & Conquer set of franchises, I guess. Yeah. Um, where instead of the fantastical worlds of the Tiberian universe or the what-if alternate history of the Red Alert franchise, now suddenly it's USA versus China versus Global Liberation Army, a.k.a. terrorists. Yeah. Um, I feel like that was very much trying to capitalize on the sort of global climate at the time. Well, like, remember, this is 2003. Like, this is this is the first Command & Conquer post 9-11. Exactly what I was going to say. So people, like, the idea of beating the bad guys, like, there's now, I guess, more paranoia about China than there is about terrorists, although that's kind of... Sorry, about Russia, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's an odd way to take the franchise. Like, I played it i enjoyed it um i was so young when this game came out that it said on the back it had a limited 90 day warranty and i thought that that meant that when the game when uh, like after 90 days elapsed the game would just stop working (laughs) yeah i was like oh that's a shame guess i'll have to buy a new copy after 90 days (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just it's such a very um a very different kind of game i didn't play too much of it um you know mostly because at the time i was uh, still, still a little young for it. Probably, I think that um, like some of my friends probably played it in school, but like they were like the big history buffs, mm. or like the, the the people who were like, yeah, America, and I'm yeah. like we're we're Canadians, so whatever. Um, it's but, it's uh, sort of odd in terms of being like the last Red Alert or like Command and Conquer game, I should say, that still utilizes that old control scheme I mentioned in the previous podcast, oh, yeah. like left click, select, left click give directives so trying to play this one you're still gonna have this odd disconnect in terms of modern control schemes and i mean it was a very like successful game too like it was it was the thing that uh like because it was the first like truly 3d game in a 3d engine mm-hmm. um they, they used the same same engine as they did with the um the the renegade uh commander carter like the first person shooter that they tried to make <laughs> they used the same they used the same engine but it was like um, but like, yeah, a lot of people really liked, like a, a lot of people, um, were open to the new direction. A lot of people really liked the 3d and some of the 3d controls, but like, um, the traditional RTS controls felt the same. So a lot of people, like for, for a lot of people, this was like the high point of the command and conquer series. Yeah. I mean, um, this was I, like, I totally this, enjoyed it. Like after this came out, everyone was sort of like, "Oh wow! Imagine what a Tiberium or a Red Alert game would look like in this engine. Like it would be great. It would it would be something that we would all be looking forward to." Um, a lot of people had optimism after this game came out. Yeah, I mean, and and it's like side note here. This was um, a game that EA was like, you know, EA published Red Alert two as well, but. By this point, they're still involved with EA and they're still maintaining their own identity. So people, I guess, probably felt good about that as well. It's like, oh, we haven't lost Westwood. This is great. Um, I don't even think that EA had necessarily earned its terrible reputation as of yet. So maybe that was just a sort of side effect that like history would... I mean, would... I think that it was, this was sort of like, yeah, this was, this was before things started to really 
<clears throat> like, I think that is before, like, EA started to really meddle with productions. Mm-hmm. I think that at this point, EA still was under the philosophy that uh, developers should be fairly independent from their publishers. And even if they were, like, a subsidiary, they were still, like, it was still very, um, uh, like, they still had their own identity. Like, mm-hmm. they, people, people, even though they were working at this company, EA Pacific, they still knew it as, like, Westwood, right? Like, yeah. they still knew it as being, like, Oh yeah, this is the same people who made like the red like red alert and Tiberian Sun. Like it's still the people who made the classics, right? Yeah. Now, fun fact of trivia: this is like the only Command and Conquer game to ever try and have aircraft take off and land realistically. Oh yeah. Like every other game, just featured VTOL vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, which is something that you guys tried to fix in the Paradox mod you worked on yep. for Red Alert Three. Mm-hmm. You got it working, as I recall. Well, yeah, I mean, like, taking off, taking off and landing was still more or less VTOL. We could have done some fancy animation stuff to get them to follow, like, specific flight plans for taking off on, like, uh, uh, taking off on runways and stuff. Yeah. But for the most part, we, like, it was mostly the, the dogfighting and the, um, like, when when aircraft were idle, they would fly in large circles. Mm-hmm. Um so, like, yeah, it was, that was sort of the thing that we were trying to go for more. So real quick uh, to contrast, yeah. like, in the original Red Alert game, when aircraft were idle, they just stood still in yeah. the air. It didn't make any sense. So yeah, you guys fixed sense, that no. and made it so that they, like, actually flew in circles when they were idle. Well, it wasn't us. It was um, other modders had managed to figure that out. But, uh, you know, we were, right, we were friends right. with them and we were able to... Uh, share some information to be able to get things working right on our end yeah so they i guess it made in generals it made the feel of using aircraft much more interesting because now here you have this like getting an aircraft to take off and do a bombing run is so much more of an investment Mm -hmm. Uh, and there was one entire faction the terrorists that couldn't even field aircraft like they did not have an airfield um so they they had to like balance that and this was like the gla didn't have a concept of power all their units um all their structures just you know functioned entirely off of um this like like they didn't have power at all they just had this separate mechanic where even if they were destroyed uh they would have this like rebuild effect that would take place if you didn't completely destroy the structure free of cost it would just be repaired because i guess the feeling was all these things are just sort of thrown together in the first place so it doesn't take any resources to put them back together um both china and the u.s had their own power management um they sort of differentiated this game in terms of like i guess it was a little more similar to starcraft in terms of having a unit that would go out and build the structures like they had construction dozers that would just drive out someplace and build a structure wherever you wanted it to be oh right yeah yeah so that was definitely borrowed from starcraft your command center was no longer the mobile construction vehicle it couldn't pack up and move um i guess you know let's let's talk a bit about uh ground control because that's a big thing in the command and conquer franchise just the idea that um you would build a structure and you have like a fixed radius around your MCV that you can build in. And certain right. structures would extend that and certain ones wouldn't for balance reasons. Uh, in the original Red Alert, there was everything gave a small bit of ground control. So there were many times where I would place down a base defense and then use its 
area of influence to place another base defense and just build a line of base defenses all the way up to my opponent's base. Because when you're playing against AI, you can do ridiculous stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it was <laughs> it was different. <laughs> yeah. So that's something that they definitely fixed and polished up and tidied up in uh, future iterations of the game. But again, here's this game, uh, Generals, that just completely did away with ground control. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, they still had the power mechanic. They still had the idea of collecting funds, except now there's like this weird palette of resources on the battlefield that you can just gather resources from. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're kind of getting away from this feeling of having a field, uh, where your harvesters go out and you have to protect the harvesters. It's not so hard when you can just drop the production structure right in front of it and they walk over to it, get something and come back. Um, which is something that they came back to in Command and Conquer 3. They had the uh, return to the good old refineries and fields of Tiberium. Um, I'll preface this whole conversation with saying Command and Conquer 3, and specifically the Kane's Wrath expansion, is my favorite of the Command and Conquer games. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm not sure how that compares to your experience with the game. Uh, Well, like I said, I played Command and Conquer 3 for the first time on a console. Um, probably not the best idea in <laughs> retrospect uh, because that colored my opinion of the game. But I do remember it being, a, like I do remember CNC3 being a really solid RTS. Like I, I remember being like, if only I was playing this on a computer, it would be amazing. Uh, unfortunately at the time I never I, I never really had a, a gaming computer um, mm-hmm. like until I was uh, until I was significantly older but um, like yeah no it, it just I remember it it was really like they, they took up they, they they fixed all the pacing issues that were in Tiberian Sun and, and they made that 3d world look so much more vivid like everything in general felt flat mm-hmm. but I feel like you know Everything felt really rich and vibrant in uh, Tiberian Sun. Sorry, sorry, uh, t- uh, Tiberium Wars, the uh, Command Conquer Three. Like I just remember it being so much more. Uh, what I like, it, it felt much more real. I guess. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, um, like, Red Alert was really the one to make things bright and colorful, but Tiberium Three definitely had. Um, like just a lot more fidelity, like things were much more fantastical and therefore they could extra- abstract things in interesting ways to like optimize and make things look interesting without having to worry about making them look completely realistic. Um, yeah, and you can tell that they learned their lessons from generals. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they really knew, like they knew what was going on. Um, I remember like even even their like uh, cutscenes in their full motion video and stuff like that. Like I remember it being very... Um, like they, their production budgets were higher. They really were starting to go out and uh, try and make this like a a very high end production, and it mm-hmm. really shows. Like it, to me, it feels like it has a lot of polish, and uh, you know, it was just it was it was good. I, I mean, I can't. I, I never really played it online or competitively uh, console again, uh, but it was still like to me. It just felt like this was the natural progression. Like this is what. I expected all RTS uh, X games to sort of be like from this point on. Yeah, it definitely it had an interesting feel where like um, this is a war game where my average match like one on one versus a hard AI lasts about twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like you don't you don't think of war as this fast paced like a, adrenaline filled experience but that's what command and conquer 3 became um mm-hmm. it was this like rush to deploy this rush to field units and like start harassing your opponent and then expanding as quickly as possible to capture the precious blue tiberium fields and tiberium spikes that you could uh take with an engineer and then they would provide consistent resources Mm -hmm. um just like overall there was this increase in pace like not just taking the game speed and cranking it up which you could do in the older games to make things feel quote-unquote faster but like an actual um feeling of boosting the overall pace and the the way that these games uh like these war these battles would play out oh i I like that i like this uh, adrenaline fueled feeling of battle oh and many other people did too and that's why the competitive scene really took off at this point ea was really supporting uh like you know not like i was talking about the full motion videos and stuff like that but they also had like a really good solid community at this point um with a lot of people playing command and conquer 3 and for a lot of people this might have been like the first command and conquer game that they'd played just because it was really accessible the esports crowd like actually like they tried to to make esports and stuff out of it, and to me, like it was one of those games that I could see it happening to. And whether or not it like succeeded at that, well, you know, that's sort of a different story. But I think that they, you know, with the resources that they're putting into like their community manager and uh, APOC at the time, like he was an amazing guy. Uh, all their battle casts, the way that they would talk about uh, tournaments and stuff like that, like they, you can tell that they were really focusing on making this a. Uh, like a full esports experience in the same line that StarCraft was. Yeah, I remember tuning into some of those just because like some of the episodes would like feature interesting strategies, like consider deploying your units in this fashion, consider using real war strategies like the Hedgehog defense to like gain ground on your opponent while keeping yourself defended. Um, they were really like harnessing the power of the internet, I guess, yeah. at that point in time. So it, it, it felt, it was a really cool thing to feel like you were a part of something that was more than just a game. That was, it was like a sense of community. So that was, that was really cool. And that, like, specifically in Kane's Wrath, um, they added a bunch of new things. Like, they added new units, sure. But what they did, and I really like this, they made things called splinter factions. Mm-hmm. Do you remember those? Like the sub-factions, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what they did was they said, okay, you have three factions in this game to start. You have the Brotherhood of Nod, who are all about stealth, lasers, um, hit and run. Um, you have GDI, who's all about hard-hitting, railguns, air superiority. Uh, you have the alien Skrin, who behave a bit a little bit like the Zerg in terms of like being on Tiberium heals them and they have like energy shields and these other fantastical things. Big let's masses take, of things. Yeah, let's take each of these factions, pick one aspect of them, crank it up to eleven. So suddenly with the Brotherhood of Nod, you've got the uh the Black Hand faction, which completely does away with stealth. It made the um oh, so real quick, each faction had their own harvester. The yeah. Nod ha- Harvester was stealthed, which was awesome. So you could have mm-hmm. your Harvesters wandering the battlefield and collecting Tiberium while completely cloaked. You had the GDI Harvester, which was kind of like the more boring one in terms of it can gun down things, sort of like the Red Alert 2 Soviet Harvester. Mm-hmm. 
And then you've got the Scrin Harvester, which I guess is also a little boring, but it heals itself over time because obviously, like any Scrin unit, it can replenish health as long as it's over a field of Tiberium, which it is constantly. Yeah, uh, exactly. By contrast, I should mention, Tiberium damages infantry of other factions. Mm -hmm. uh, not vehicles, they're resistant to the plating, or they've got like resistant armor plating, whatever lore reasons, but yeah, infantry would die by exposure to Tiberium, uh, whereas Scrin benefited from it. So you had an interesting setup, and then the Black Hand said, okay, no stealth. Your harvester is useless. It has no special abilities. Thanks. But crank flames up to 11, and that faction's entirely about like using their fire aspect. And I didn't play as that one as much. I played as the Marked of Cain faction, which had cyborg infantry, because that was mm. awesome. Yes. And... It just, it felt like a very power, like your base infantry unit was more powerful. You had access to cyborgs and your your upgrades that you would unlock would augment those cyborgs to make them like run faster. And it just, it felt like a really interesting cybernetic take on the faction. Uh, oh, you had, yeah. You had GDI splinter faction um, Steel Talon, which brought back these like giant walking mech units from the previous game. Yes. Uh, the Titans. Yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so good. I, I just yeah, like it's hard to explain the feeling of these giant behemoths, but like that was what the GDI to me always were, were these giant slow mecha that would just like spell doom for anybody who came across them. It was always oh, so good. Such a and good feeling. That that might be the might, that might have been one of the best things that that Splinter Faction system evoked was like, hey, if you really liked like Tiberian Sun GDI, you will love playing as the steel talon because yeah, they had if you these wanted, units. whereas if you wanted to go in a different route and try a different strategy there was a different there was a different faction that you could choose that was sort of a, a like a branching off of the original so it would be so you it would it would be more you would tailor your tailor it to you towards your playstyle a lot more exactly uh, it reminded me you know at the time it reminded me a lot of uh advanced wars Mm -hmm. Now that I think about it, uh, as well, like now that I think about it now, it's like maybe maybe that was one of the influences. I don't know. Like I thought, like to me, I feel like this is something that should have been tried before. Like I feel like this is something that uh, you know you you feel like you know I feel like they should have done tried to do this sooner, but uh, it, it, it worked really well. They did a little. In Red Alert 2, you could pick which country you were playing as, and every country oh, could right. feel one one and only one unique character so like mm. if you were playing as uh i think uh like france they could build this ridiculous base defense called the grand cannon uh if you were playing as libya they could build demo trucks if you're playing as uh like russia they could build uh like some, something else but that, that was the idea like every country that you picked could defeat could deploy one unique character but i think changing up the overall faction like it's just a couple small tweaks and a couple different units a couple things that they do or do not have access to and it makes that faction feel so different from the others i i love that i love how much mileage they got out of it oh yeah no it was is definitely good for the time. Now, now that's not to say that it didn't have its critics. I, of I mean, course, everyone's saying like, "Oh, they just didn't want to put any resources into making any new factions. They just wanted to use the ones that are already in the game and make these small tweaks." Yeah, I mean, like I feel like there were, you know, at this point, people 
we're starting to get a little bit more skeptical about EA and its business practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tobias Moore's came out in the same year that Spore did, and uh, Spore uh, left a bad taste in many gamer, gamers' mouths, including mine. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Lots promised, but not a lot delivered. Was mm-hmm. it EA's fault? Maybe. Was it the Will Wright's fault? Maybe. But uh, like to a lot of people, that was sort of like... Yeah, that was sort of like when EA... It was like, well, it, we should probably start looking at things with a healthy skepticism. And even Kane, Kane's Wrath, it was great, but it felt like a little bit less of an expansion than previous expansions to the Command yeah. Conquer series. But at the very least, it was just an expansion, so it wasn't like a full price offering. It was a a full campaign. It was a full and campaign, and then all these multi-faction stuff. Yeah. So I I guess at the very least, it was really good game designers making the best of what was probably a far more restrictive budget. I think so. Uh, and I think that, like, yeah, I think that it might not have, like, at this point, I feel like EA is looking at the Command Conquer series being like, okay, you know, we really need to take this off in the same way, that, like, we need this to take off in the same way that StarCraft did and in the same way that a lot of other games are taking off right now like really like in order to maintain all this high production value that we're get that we're you know putting into like the battle casts and our our, our videos and stuff like mm-hmm. that we really need to start you know trimming down on, on the gameplay sort of stuff and uh, really start to shift focus a little bit yeah this and, is uh, we're starting to get into the era of 50 percent of your budget is marketing yeah and it's like and they marketed the hell out of this game um and uh, they they really did but at the same time like you can like you can sort of understand why a company would do this but at the same time it, it sort of you know it, it uh, a lot of people were either rubbed the wrong way about it or maybe even uh, like i'm not like i say that tabir moore's and kane's wrath were successes mm-hmm. but um were they financial successes for the company? Did they meet their financial goals? I'm not. I'm not too certain about that because, as we see with the following releases of games in the series and with other games in general, you know, they start to leave even more bad taste in people's mouths. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, Red Alert Three to me was a beautiful game. Yeah, it was a game that, uh, you know. Uh, a friend of mine had showed me, and I remember looking at that, going, "Wow, look at those water effects! Look at how oh, color yeah. everything! Look at how colorful everything is! It's not very different from like the dirt and the haze from all the other games that were out at the time. It was very much like a vibrant and like, uh, in my opinion, it was like it was just gorgeous. Like I love the bloom effects. I love how all the water looked so good. Like it made yeah. me want to play those water levels yeah. and uh, use the naval mechanics." Like, considering that this is a game competing with StarCraft produced by Blizzard, which is a way bigger company, like, I'll say that Red Alert 3 might be one of the prettiest looking RTS games, and that's weighing, like, going head-to-head against StarCraft 2. Yeah, I still think that StarCraft 2 doesn't compare to the graphics in Red Alert 3. I mean, like, there's definitely some different choices were made Mm -hmm. uh, aesthetically, but I think that, believe it or not, I think that Red Alert 3 made RTS players a little bit more okay with the direction that StarCraft 2 went in terms of the unit design. Mm-hmm. Just because the color and vibrance? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, so not only that, but it was also like the scale of things, too, and how yeah. some things look kind of chunky. Uh, StarCraft 2 is very, very similar to that sort of aesthetic where the, the, the tanks feel kind of chunky. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's, that's sort of a trend that goes in uh, 3D uh, model design at the time where you accent the uh, the shadows and stuff like that with like dark dark lines on the textures and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it was just like, I just remember it being so vibrant and so detailed in, in ways that I'd never sort of seen from a game before. But there were some really big red flags with it yeah. too. I the mean, DRM, oh the God, yeah. lack of uh, the the lack of like any sort of modding uh, capability right, right out of the box. Mm-hmm. Um, it took almost a year and a bit to to get the modding community's um, tools out. Uh, they they added a new faction, but it still felt like they were trimming down on the stuff that was in previous alert games. Uh, I'll, I'll let you talk more about the mechanics of Red Alert. Sure, yeah. Because I, I, I appreciate you mentioning those things because I would have just sort of bypassed them and talked directly about the game design. <laughs> um, so first of all, this this is a game where they went hog wild on the idea of naval warfare. For the first time ever, oh, yeah. You can your mobile construction vehicle can just float. So it can drive onto water and you can build a new base there. So if you're getting mobbed by units on land, just pack up and go to sea and you can deploy structures on the water. Obviously not like not every infantry in the game can swim, but um, you can deploy your power plants on water. Your harvesters are also, uh, they can be deployed on the water. Um, Speaking of harvesters and the refineries, this is what I feel like was one of many missteps for Red Alert 3. Um, I spoke before about how much I loved the sort of large fields of Tiberium where your refineries uh, and your harvesters is like an active part of the game to protect and keep them safe. And it's difficult because there's just this big open field that they're harvesting in and it's large and kind of awkward and it, it strains you in a particular way. And that's a challenge. And I like that. Mm-hmm. Um in Red Alert 3, they said, hey, look, there are just these, like, ore nodes that you can drop a refinery right in front of, and your harvester um, drives out onto it, gets ore dumped into its back, a turntable activates underneath it, it drives back to the refinery, and yeah. then another turntable turns it back. So, it's so like, like they were driving, like, 10 feet. Yeah, like, like what's they, the they point were of driving having a ridiculously short distances. Like, and it was so... Oh, like, yeah, it was such a misstep because, like, in previous games, like, you you know, you felt like protecting your harvesters was sort of an important thing uh, because your harvesters had to travel quite a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but in this, it was just sort of like, why why even, like, do it this way at this point? Like, if you're, like, it was just sort of like an auto mine thing yeah, that was, like, was, super, uh, super, super short distances. It, it completely cut out the feeling of hey, you've got a field of Tiberium, try deploying more than one refinery. Now you're burning through your resources twice as fast, but you can field a lot more units and you're going to run out, you're trying to play the short game. That felt really cool because there was actually some strategy you could apply to there. But this idea of one refinery per ore node completely cut that out. Um, and if it, it, it just honestly feels to me like someone was like, hey, we want to streamline this. And then some senior member on the dev team said, but it's red alert. We have to have harvesters. It's like, oh, yeah. Well, you can, no, it's, it's if you want to take the gameplay in a different direction, then 
don't don't have this weird stilted mechanic where they it had just a, they feels. Had, you could tell that they compromised. Like yeah, you could tell that they compromised exactly. in so many places. Yeah. Um, and uh, like I think that you can almost like see some of the development meddling. Like, yeah. You can you can hear flight flight. Uh, Frank Lepaki's music, but you can't, like, but it's, but it's definitely lumped in with a whole bunch of sort of generic sounding music too. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't, you know, they didn't bring him back for the full soundtrack to get like the right feel. They just, you know, they had him for a few songs, and that that really, to me, are the highlight of the game. But uh, you know, the rest of the music, like a lot of a lot of it, just is sort of mem- like sorry, forgettable. Like yeah. the memorable parts are like you know when the like when, uh, like it, they had a dynamic music system where mm-hmm. different tracks would play depending on how many units were in battle and stuff like that, and uh, they would always so they would always have like different. Like to me, the the pacing was sort of managed by the musical in yeah. a lot of cases. You had but, you had that it's all kicking off kind of moment. Yeah, and I think that the, I think that they did some they did some great things in there, but there's also sort of a lot of like dead sort of generic music for yeah. that just feels dead air it's and completely forgettable. Uh, yeah, whereas like every track in the like Tiberian Sun and in other games, like I felt like was crafted with care. This one, you could tell that they'd phoned in a couple. Absolutely, and it was sort of like, okay, well, you, it seems like you kind of half-assed some parts of this. Yeah, like um, let let's talk a bit about uh, the design of the different factions. Yes. So now we've got the allies, the Soviet, and player three japan has joined the game and they've got (laughs) mecha they've got tanks that like flip over and now they can drive on water they've got aircraft that can transform and fly through the sky and land on the ground and that all feels really cool they also completely do away with ground control and they deploy these eggs which can um not literal eggs of course they're these vehicles that the dev team called eggs because they were super vulnerable but you could tell them to go anywhere and then they would unpack and deploy into that structure wherever you wanted to go that all felt really cool oh yeah how do i level my units and my build my tech structures you have to click on your barracks and say upgrade. You yeah. have to click on your naval field and say upgrade. You have to click on your war factory and say upgrade. This is very individually, and you very can't produce any units while you're while you're upgrading. So very frustrating. Ugh. For it was very frustrating for like maintaining like a continuity of pace. Yeah, and then you've got like okay, allies. What have you got? Well, it's the good old fashioned. Um, well, I should say, let's let's jump over to the Soviets real quick. They're the yeah, ones with the good old-fashioned of ground control. They're the ones that you place tech structures. This feels like the most, like a red alert, like classic red alert in terms of certain buildings will expand your area of influence and you can build within that. You build a tech lab and that lets you build higher tech units and that applies everywhere. That, that all felt okay. Um, it just didn't feel like it was doing anything new or interesting. No, it really felt like they treaded water in a couple of cases. Like yeah. it felt like it felt like the the factions could have been more different, and that mm-hmm. was one of the reasons why we really focused on modding for this game to really bring out the differences in factions and stuff. Yeah, uh, it felt like there was a lot of missed potential, and uh, you know, even though I gushed about the graphics before, a lot of people didn't like that. A lot of people wanted it to be more gritty and more realistic and less cartoony. Um, than what Red Alert sort of Red Alert 3 gave them. Yeah, I mean, um, I... Go ahead. Yeah. 
I was gonna say like I think that a lot of people that turned off a lot of people who were very loyal to the franchise from before. Like I, all I was gonna say is like that that seems like a bit immature to me. Like writing off something just because it has a different art style. Oh, I um, agree. Like I, I said, like I love things. the graphics. Yeah, you, you gotta give I'll, it a fair I'll... shot. Like the game was bad for other reasons, but not the art. Yeah, I would say that like they they really like to me they they they. They made use of all the stuff that they built for Tiberium Wars and for Command Conquer 3. They really made use of it and took it to its logical extreme and just like the Spectrum Tower. Like I've never loved seeing a thing fire so so much as the Spectrum Tower. Like mm-hmm. they just they looked amazing. Just firing rainbows, like rainbow turrets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that was the Allied base defense. Um so here we have like the, the allied faction in general, they their concept of ground control was confined to a central area around their MCV. And if you want to upgrade, you don't have to build any, any tech structures. That's great. Mm-hmm. But you have to click on your mobile construction vehicle and instead of producing a building, you have to now get tier two or tier three. You yeah. invest in that as a thing. And then here's what really killed it. If you had an expansion somewhere, those upgrades didn't count for that nope. expansion. Nope. Uh, it was like per. It was. It was like per MCV, basically, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, your way of expanding as the Allied faction is that you ha- your harvesters could pull double duty as expansion ports. So you would tell your harvester to unpack, and then suddenly you can deploy structures around it. It couldn't pack back up. But those harvesters had one and only one thing they could do after that point, which was buy upgrade. And only then could you actually produce higher tier units at those expansion points. So you are stuck in one place, and it felt awful. So, you know, here I've fetched about all three factions, the way they handled them. It was like they tried to balance them by making them all terrible in different ways, which was in complete contrast to the previous games where they all felt like, hey, this faction's really powerful because it has really strong aircraft, and this faction's really powerful because it has stealth, and this one has really good infantry management, and so on. But this was just like, how can we hamstring the player into, like, slow things down? It it was not good design. No, it was... I don't know. It, to me, it was just lots of like weird, irksome things. I mean, yeah. I still love playing it. Like, I still would like. I still consider like installing it just to like play through again, just because the campaign was really fun. With the uh, I've, uh, talking about the full motion videos again. Oh yeah, they went all out. They got Tim Curry, uh, J.K. Simmons, and this was J.K. Simmons's first video game role outside <laughs> of like doing voiceover for like a Spider-Man video game. But like, this was his first like. This was before Portal 2. So this was his pre-Cave Johnson era. Um, yeah, wow. Like they, they even got uh, Takei, uh, George Takei. George right? Takei, oh my goodness. And like they had so much good like, supporting cast as well. And like again, I just think that like they, 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 they had lots of great actors and they hammed it all up with Tim Curry, you know, yeah. I'll go to the one place that capitalists cannot find us. Space! Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just love love his heaviness but like the story itself was kind of like or like kind of forgettable mm-hmm. like what <laughs> yeah it's I, the plot I, was the yeah. plot was a little bit too silly no, mm-hmm. not not to say that like Red Alert has not always been silly but i felt like they made a lot of very strange leaps 
Yeah. Like very strange loops of like going from mission to mission. It felt like in a lot of cases they felt very disconnected. Yeah. It was one of those things where I I also really didn't like the approach they took where like, hey, look, we hired a bunch of very attractive females and gave everyone a poster of like uh, pinup poses that came with the game. That was cringeworthy. Yeah, it's just like, ew, is this what you think that I want? I don't. I really don't. Uh, Oh, oh, every single campaign ended with the lead female saying, hey, Commander, want to go out for a date? That's true. Oh, because, yeah, they were trying to, like, play to this, like, fantasy, and it just, it, it, oh, it was uh, horrible. Like, it it did not, it did not fit in with, like, Ruddler tone in general. No. And it was just too, too cringy. Like, it's, it's like, really, this is what, like, you think, think of us? Yeah. Like, it's condescending. It's disgusting. Very condescending. It was, yeah. It, why would you have fan service in, in like, in a t- Command Conquer game? Like, it just, it makes no sense. And yeah. you could tell that they were, like, just trying to, like, make a quick cash grab off of it. And exactly. It, uh, like, I think it might have been where they, like, managed to get one, one like, um, like one of the actresses and they're like well since we have her why not like try and like get a couple others and we can make a thing out of it and mm-hmm. it just went to a very bad place yeah like this is this is where they um started with the idea of every single faction having a hero unit who was female yeah. um they had the like teenager psychic teenager on the japanese side they had natasha on the russian side and they had tanya on the allied side and again these are all right. characters that would come on to you as the player in, during the cutscene. It's just like, no, no, don't. Do you really need that to happen? Like, just gross. Yeah. So, I mean, like, and, and I wasn't the only, like, and we weren't the only people who sort of felt this way. I think that, no. a lot of, that sentiment was shared among a lot of people. I think, I think that there was lots of, uh, yeah, there was a lot of people at the time who were, who were like, yeah, whatever. Like, it's not part of, like, it's not, it's not a big deal. But I think that the majority of the sentiment was like, okay, we're not we're not dumb. We're not like Exactly. We're yeah. not like twelve year olds. If nothing else, it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth and honestly like makes certain people like us feel ashamed to admit that we ever liked these games. Because it feels like we're okay with that. We're not. And therefore we don't want to associate with it. And we don't want to <laughs> it's like completely backfires. Like we don't want to tell people about this game because we're we're we face the judgment of like, well, if we're representing this game, we're representing what they put in the box, and that's this busty mm-hmm. chick wearing yep. short shorts. Yeah, pretty much, and uh, it's it's awkward, and uh, I don't know. I think that I think that that was a a bad choice. They really sort of misread the uh, atmosphere at the time, yeah. I guess. Um, I mean, like in some of the older games, there definitely is that, but like. It wasn't front and center. It wasn't no. like, here's a feature of the game. It was sort of like, oh, well, you know, we don't really have the budget to get, like, you know, good actors and actresses, so we'll just get the ones that look best. That look the yeah. best. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, with the, it, like, again, they got, they managed to get, like, George Decay and stuff like that. So, like, I don't know. I felt like they could have, like, at that, at that point in time, because they had the budgets, like, why would they settle for less than that? And yeah. It's kind of a shame. I mean, is there uh, anything else you wanted to say about Red Alert Three before we move on? Oh man! Well, let's just say that, like, <laughs> for all the like, there was so much good and also a lot of bad. 
But like, you know, people complaining about this game is nothing compared to what would come Right. So real quick, I just wanted to touch upon what they did do that was interesting in this game. Um, In Red Alert, in uh, Command & Conquer 3, uh, some units had activated abilities, which was this interesting idea where like some fact like uh uh some vehicles could like lay mines or some vehicle could activate a cloaking field that would cloak nearby units um just these these little things in the side of the unit profile you could click on to deploy in red alert 3 that was front and center every single unit had one and only one alternate thing they could do for the japanese a lot of those were like click on this button to have your helicopter become a ground-based mecha uh, or your jet fighter become a anti-infantry hunter. Um, for the harvester, that was unpack and deployed to an expansion point. For, uh, gosh, just like every single vehicle, every single infantry, it would be exhausting to describe all the like alternating abilities of every single uh, thing in the game. Do you think that actually made for a good game, though? It's one of those things where on paper, that sounds great. It sounds cool. It sounds like, wow, I'm going to be able to do all these awesome combinations, uh, all this micromanagement, but... But it ends up being, like, too much micromanagement. Yeah. It it felt like babysitting in a lot of cases. (laughs) Yeah, so it was one of those things where, like, the most you could hope to get was organize your units into control groups, which basically literally means hold down control and press 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. And then if you grouped all like units together, the most micro I could ever do was playing as the Japanese faction, having my um, aircraft squad mapped to one control group so that I could click on them and then quickly tell them land because anti-air units are coming or take off because anti-vehicle units are coming. but trying to actually like field an army and take advantage of all the different abilities your units had was just more than a human could conceivably do it was too much and uh, i mean like it was used to good to good effect and but like you know you really didn't see the esports community take off with red alert 3 like even to the same extent that it did with uh uh tibia moore's the command conquer 3 like it Mm -hmm. just like, I feel like a lot of things just kind of fell flat. Yeah. And, uh, like, you know, some things worked and some things didn't. But then the, uh, by this, like, by this time, uh, the financial crisis was uh, starting to affect a lot of video game companies. And mm-hmm. EA was definitely one of them, uh, EA Los Angeles. And, uh, well, let's just say that uh, you could tell that they really had to start cutting corners because oh the next game, God. CNC4. <laughs> You could you could tell like there it was just like the perfect storm of, you know, EA was starting to really meddle uh, in games development to the point where developers were starting to have to compromise. Uh, budgets were being cut all over the place due to uh, financial constraints and financial issues. Um, you could see that like and like no that but like a lot of interest had sort of dropped off in mm-hmm. the games from the, uh, in the games due to some of the compromising from the previous one. So like, it was this perfect storm of all these bad things happening. And that's why a lot of people attribute the death of the Command & Conquer franchise to Command & Conquer 4, to Beer and Twilight. And, wow. Like, so many things 
<laughs> I, like it was like they they didn't learn from the mistakes of Red Alert three. They not at all. they they doubled down on every single one of them. Yeah. So hey, you know how people really like this game because of the base building, and people really didn't like when we got rid of refineries or completely like, like truncated dumped that? down the system. Let's get rid of base building. Let's just get rid of the whole thing. Like just why? Throw it oh all. Oh my in. god. Why? So. <laughs> Yeah, I'll let you talk about the mechanics. <laughs> sure. So, um, like, yeah, this is a game that I guess was trying to take hints from the increasingly popular Dota franchise. Um, you don't have a base anymore. You just have this one hulking MCV called a crawler. And that is what produces everything. It produces your units. It produces your units. And it produces your units. Because that was all this game had. Yeah, um, you couldn't build buildings. No. Oh, oh, hey, let's not forget, this game also tried to bring back splinter factions, but now you can oh, deploy yeah. one of three crawlers, and one crawler was like the defense crawler, which could ba- build base defenses. One crawler was the aircraft crawler, and the other cra- crawler was like the just attack crawler. It, I... N- I played that game, I played all the campaign missions, and I feel like I still never got a handle on what they were going for, because it was just this, like, you didn't have access to all the units you wanted to build, you just had this, like, limited subset, which which often meant that every mission, no matter what the circumstances, I had the same army composition every time. So that was, that got kind of played out after a while, because like, okay, build three scorpion tanks, build uh, five main tanks, build a couple of these infantry, and we're good because that's the unit cap. Because great, they added unit caps to this game. Yeah, again, something that when we talked about in earlier episodes was something that was a huge plus for the the series and a huge Mm -hmm. advantage over other RTS games. They implemented the the unit cap because other games had it. (laughs) I I have no idea why. Like, it was... It's a very bizarre decision to make. Yeah, and okay, so what what does the game boil down to now? Is it this epic rush to try and defeat your opponent's crawler, like one army clashing against another? No, it's capture the flag. No, no, sorry, it's king of the hill. King of the hill. It really is uh, king of the hill. It felt like it wasn't developed much more. Like it, it felt very similar to some of the Warcraft three mods and Warcraft three games. Uh, yeah. In this, like, sort of like how uh, Dota came out and was part of these uh, Warcraft 3 mods. There was a couple that were very similar in that respect uh, to, to Command and Conquer 4, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, they weren't going to make a full game out of it. Like, they, they really couldn't... Like, they did... You could tell that they did their best, mm-hmm. but, like, you could tell that it was also, like, they had to compromise everywhere. They really had to get in the Ty- Tiberium stuff when they could and make, make nods to things. And, like, yeah, even by this point, like, the full motion videos and stuff like that, just they were good they lord were, they were, were abysmal the level. they got no. joe cuken back thank, thank yeah, goodness, great but, but that's so about they can, it they completely like for whatever you care about the tiberian universe like if you're at all following the story to this point there is this massive mystery of like why is kane spreading tiberium why is he this like entity that seems to have existed way longer than any human should be able to what is this mystery why did he allow the alien screen to invade the planet and build this massive teleportation structure oh et wants to go home 
Yeah, that's pretty it. Much. That's the payoff. Yeah, the aliens just want to leave the planet. That's that's literally it. Like this was a huge revelation in the previous game that like you needed a, a like fairly decent explanation to like justify it, and it was just the most half-assed thing that could have possibly like been thought of. Like yeah. it like, just felt like such an afterthought. <laughs> yeah, they they didn't. It was a mystery that they just didn't have anything to pay it off with. Uh, so they gave us this. Um, and, yeah, like, there's really, like, there's not a whole lot to, to really talk good about just because no. every game before it did things better. Like, in terms of graphics and the artwork, I think that they went in an interesting direction, but, like, with, with a lot of, like, the marketing materials. But, like, the actual game itself looks like, it looks worse than Command & Conquer 3. Yeah, let's, like, um, let's, let's have a fun little exercise. If you're at your computer... Look up the Command and Conquer Three Avatar. This thing is superimposing. It is the Brotherhood of Nod's mainline, most powerful land vehicle. It is this awesome-looking mecha with this huge laser, superimposing stance. If you can see footage of this thing animated, you know how just like what presence this thing has on the battlefield. It's awesome. Um, I've I've done illustrations of the Avatar as part of my art projects in school just because it looked so cool it, it inspired really me to create like the zarnok uh enemies in my game were modeled after the avatar in contrast now look up the command and conquer 4 avatar and not the current in-game model look up the original production so-called crayola avatar oh man it's Ooh. awful. It was so bad. People were so invested in the original Avatar's design because it was this awesome, menacing thing. And then they made this weird, wonky-looking thing with five cannons sticking out of it, just completely haphazard, completely illogical. Like, you couldn't arrange cannons like that on a thing. It, the recoil would rip off each arm as it fired. Um... It looked so bad that there was so much fan outcry, they had to redesign that unit. And that's what we got in the final game. It's better, it still doesn't look as good as the original. For some reason, they decided to farm out uh, a lot of the the game like concepts to an outside studio, um, which I don't, I don't know. Maybe they were uh, just the cheapest option available, but they just... It was rough. Uh, there was like all the iconic units that were returning for the previous game. Look up the scorpion tank. That that made oh, it into yeah. the game. That thing looks so stupid. It's got like this like giant scorpion tail sticking out the back. Like Halo's got yeah. a scorpion tank, which I think might be one of the best designs on the what you can consider a quote unquote scorpion tank. Yeah. The red alert. Uh, I'm sorry. Command and Conquer Three scorpion tank was fine. It, it evoked like this unique looking. Thing that, like, sure, that's a scorpion tank. Yeah, whatever. It was also, also kind of reminiscent of like the tick tank. Yeah, and that that was cool. Um, but then this thing looks like it's got this dumb tail sticking out the top of it, and it's got pincers on a tank uh, for some reason. Uh, it, it was just so ill-advised. So was, much of it. It was such a yeah, such a bad design. Yeah, like I, I, I felt like there was a lot of bad design going around. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think I remember um, OpenSketch actually writing an article advising people like, hey, try not to judge a book by its cover. Wait till it comes out to actually give it a fair shot. Uh, which was, you know, very forward thinking of her and like gave them more credit than they deserved. But it, unfortunately, it turned out to be just as bad as it looked. Yeah, no, and even she had to concede later on that uh, they had made some terrible design decisions. Yeah. Um, not all of them. I think that she was probably one of the few people that I knew who looked positively on a lot of these things. But then again, at the same time, like she was willing to repurpose a lot of the ideas from CNC4 and make them work within um, Ruddler 3 as right. like, faction as one of the ideas. alternate factions. Yeah, the yeah. Talon, I think, right? Yeah, Something the Order like of the Talon, which was uh, sort of a sort of intended to reminisce on, um, you know, GDI from, yeah. uh, from the Tiberian sort of line. And, and that's yeah, the no, thing was... where, like, this could have been another franchise. Just don't really call it Command have. and Conquer. And right? I mean, like, at this point, they were also putting out the mobile games, and mm. that was also kind of a, a mistake to try and put... Like, I, I feel like nothing... At, the, at this point, like, nothing was really left to you know, get them revenue. Yeah. Like it just sort of, it just sort of all fell apart. And I mean, like, yeah, Command and Conquer, is it, Command and Conquer 4, is it, is it that bad? I mean, yeah, it really is. It, it is something that I have been very reluctant to play. And uh, I'm kind of glad that I hadn't sunk that many hours into it. Yeah, it was, like I said, I, I tried to give that game a fair shot and I played it all the way through the campaigns on both sides, gritted my way through the absolutely terrible FMVs. Again, here's another fun exercise. See if you can get through the opening cutscenes for the um, GDI side of the story, where they decided to give your commander character a wife, and she might be one of the worst actresses they've ever had in their FMVs. Uh, yeah. Don't worry, they kill her off, and you're supposed to feel super bad. But honestly, I was just glad to see her gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it just. I, I I don't even really know what to say more about it, other than like, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just such a shame that this huge like we've talked so much about the greatness of the previous games. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, like they weren't flawless for sure. No. Um, I mean, that's why we we compared and contrasted with other uh, RTS games at the time and stuff like that. But like, you can really tell that like this is sort of what you know finally put like put the nail in the coffin for uh, for Command Conquer. And a lot of people attribute it to like the death of the RTS in general. But again, StarCraft II came out just a couple of years later and really revived the whole thing. Yeah, and, and I mean, uh, like, we barely even heard anything about the supposed Command and Conquer Generals 2, but apparently that was actually so bad that it was cancelled pre-alpha. Yeah, and I Like, internal testing say, sunk that one. And I don't think that's to say that they ran out of ideas. I think that what really, what really sort of hampered it was the com constant compromising. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, they had great ideas like it would have been amazing had there been a faction in cnc4 that had a crawler mechanic there you that go. would have been really cool but like there should be options for other different play styles and for uh like there's so many other possibilities that could have been explored but they had to compromise on things and yeah it just it's it's so 
it's it's such a shame that uh, such a good series sort of died out and all the all the mysteries and all the mysterious plots and stuff like that just sort of never really amounted to anything in yeah the just totally jumped the shark um unlike again like unlike you know the starcraft series which it had some it didn't it didn't really have a, a big cliffhanger at the end of brood war but like you did still feel invested and mm-hmm. starcraft 2 well it didn't have the same great plot as the original uh there's it definitely felt a little bit uh simpler and a little bit more uh i don't know i just it didn't it didn't feel the same way but yeah. it was still it was still a serviceable story that really answered a lot of different questions that people might have had from the original series and you know it didn't it felt like it came to a good close even mm-hmm. if it was a fairly generic space opera kind of close sure so speaking of coming to a close on a good note how about yeah. we both recommend one of our favorite games from the command and conquer series why don't you go first oh man uh i'm gonna say two games red alert three first and tiberian sun the second those are my two top favorites interesting so just try to grit your way through the stuff we mentioned about ra3 and enjoy it for what it is because there's some interesting fun stuff to be had yeah ra3 it there's there's enough good stuff there it seems like it's um you know it can be salvaged with some good mods yeah so and you know for my part try to act surprised but uh command and conquer 3 that was where that game is at for me it's like no other game scratches that itch like i've played starcraft i've played supreme commander um and these these are like other strategy games that feel very different nothing quite feels like it it's taxing like it's, it's I, I was playing the game and Sydney was like, are you having fun? I'm like, I think so. And she's like, are you, are you sure you want to keep playing? I'm like, absolutely. Because it, this is a game which will have your brain like rushing to consider all possibilities and try to like juggle so many different things. If, if that's the kind of experience you want, Command and Conquer 3 and the Kane's Wrath expansion, holy cow, let me mention it real quick. Uh, Global Conquest that was something they added to Command and Conquer 3, uh, the Kane's Wrath expansion, where you oh, yeah. are combating for uh, control of the world. the world. You choose one of three factions. You have bases deployed all around the world, and you have strike forces that move between them. Uh, then when a strike force meets a base or another strike force, you play an instance game. Like, you jump into a fully assembled base, or you have all your units ready deployed, and you go and square off against someone. So, like, just get right to the meat of that game and play this, like, what risk wishes it could be encounter. Oh, um, yeah. It was so, like, it was so good to have, like, a nice metagame outside of the traditional strategy. Something that, uh, it, it felt very reminiscent of, like, Battlefront 2. Yeah. Um, where you got to, you know, you know, conquest or conquer the galaxy and sort of things. Like it felt very, yeah, very good. Yeah. Yeah. So there I, you go. That's uh, that that you can easily find. Uh, I just grabbed both these games on the Steam sale recently because I I legitimately own disc copies of both of them. My Kane's Wrath disc wouldn't read anymore, so I plonked down the like seven bucks to buy them both on Steam at the time. And uh, yeah, it was absolutely worth to buy those games a second time just because of how much I enjoyed them. So hopefully you've enjoyed our look at the uh, Command & Conquer series. I know that RTS games aren't necessarily 
right up in the public eye as much as they might have been in their in their heyday. But uh, hopefully, this gives you some insight as to what we enjoyed about them. And yeah. um, any closing thoughts, Chris? I mean, it's yeah. I mean, Westwood was a one of a kind game studio that really inspired a lot of people to look into history and uh, you know what if scenarios and really. Uh, in my opinion, I think that they really made a, a lasting impact on video games as a whole. Um, you know, they really did change the industry uh, for the better, and I think that it's really good to sort of look back on it uh, and remember all the all the good times and even some of the bad bad times. And what can you, you learn? Know, find right? good things. Yeah, exactly. Learning from history and learning from mistakes. It's one of the themes that comes through in these games a lot. So, yeah, I mean it. Yeah, that's really it. All right. Well, Chris, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. No, thanks for having me. All right. And uh, to all the listeners, uh, is there anywhere that they can uh, find you if they want to get in touch? Yeah, you can look me up. Uh, I'm FerrisWheel42 on ModDB. And uh, you can also see all my animation work at ChrisFerris.com. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at BluishGreenPro or my personal handle, Attila Gabriel. You can also submit user feedback, questions, or comments to my website, BluishGreenProductions.com. So thanks a lot for listening. Chris, thanks again. No problem. To everyone else, thanks. See you around. Bye-bye.